evidence and answers. Prompted the Protestant Reformation? How does the Roman Catholic Church's doctrine of salvation differ from the Bible? One of the key doctrines that drove Martin Luther to challenge the Roman Catholic Church was the doctrine of justification by faith alone. So, what is the difference between the Roman Catholic teaching and the Protestant teaching on salvation? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international speaker, teacher, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In this episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat explains one of the key doctrines that led to the Protestant Reformation and how Roman Catholicism deviates from the biblical teaching on salvation. Now, here is our host and Bible scholar, Pat Zucran with a message entitled, Justification by Faith Alone. And at the Council of Trent, they condemned everything the Reformation Fathers stood for and affirmed their Catholic teaching. Okay, so the Council of Trent is very important. So that's why I'm quoting a lot from the Council of Trent. It is the Council of Trent that sealed the permanent separation of Protestant and Catholicism. Many ask me, when I'm teaching church history in class, will we ever see the two come together? And I say no, because of the Council of Trent. Okay, that sealed the permanent separation of the two, I think, until Jesus returns. Okay, now Catholicism then rejected this teaching. The Council of Trent says, if anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtaining the grace of justification, and that is not in any way necessary, that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. Anathema means eternally condemned. That's the strongest words of condemnation given in Galatians 1 by Paul that's given by the Council of Trent. So here they clearly say, if anyone teaches one is justified by faith alone, you are anathema, okay, anathema. If anyone says that after reception of grace of justification, the guilt is so remitted and the debt of eternal punishment so blotted out to every repentant sinner so that no debt of temporal punishment remains to be discharged, either in this world or purgatory, before the gates of heaven can be opened, let him be eternally condemned. Okay, anathema. All right, so that was the judgment rendered from the Council of Trent. So you can see that on justification, this is where the Reformation and the Catholic Church differed. That's the part of salvation where we disagree, even to this day. What's the teaching by the Catholic Church? Catholicism teaches that certain things must be done by people in order to be justified and then to keep that right standing before God. So Catholicism teaches on justification. It is not permanent. It can be undone when one commits what's called mortal sin. At the Council of Trent, those who through sin have forfeited the received grace of justification can again be justified when moved by God. They exert themselves to obtain through the sacrament of penance the recovery by merits of Christ of the grace lost. All right? So your salvation can be lost and it's through penance. You've got to regain your justified status before God again. Okay, that's Catholic teaching. What Reformation was teaching is that they're going right to the Bible and saying, ah, once someone has 
been justified before God, that cannot be lost, all right? Because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Justification, then, is dependent on continued faithfulness of the individual, okay? So salvation is based on God's grace, but it works in cooperation with human good works to bring about complete salvation, okay, or complete justification before God. Well, what is the role of grace and faith according to Catholic teaching? Well, justification is based on God's grace, but God's grace alone is not sufficient. Works, good works are required to bring about complete justification for God, before God. So we're infused with grace at justification, which allows us to do good works now. But in order to keep our status right before God, good works are necessary. Good works are necessary to maintain that right standing before God. So we need grace accompanied by good works. Okay? So it becomes a faith and works kind of position. You're justified by faith. And that status is kept through good works. What are some of the good works? Well, salvation is mediated, comes through the seven sacraments of the church, and is kept by participating and taking part in the seven sacraments of the church. Baptism, okay, whether as an infant or when one comes to belief. Confession to a priest. The communion. Confirmation later as an adult, the holy orders, matrimony, and extreme unction, or what we call last rites. So, for example, one of the requirements in order to be justified before God, one must be water baptized in the church. Baptism is the first and chief sacrament of forgiveness of sins because it unites us with Christ who died for our sins and rose for our justification so that we too might walk in newness of life. Justification has been merited for us by the passion of Christ. It is granted through baptism. It conforms us to the righteousness of God who justifies us. It has for its goal the glory of God and of Christ and the gift of eternal life. It is the most excellent work of God's Mercy. If anyone denies that by grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is conferred in baptism, the guilt of original sin is remitted, or even assert that the whole of that which has the true and proper nature of sin is not taken away, let him be forever condemned. Anathema. Pretty strong terms there in the Council of Trent. That's why it's at that council the permanent separation has occurred and probably will remain till Christ returns. So Catholic theology teaches that God's grace is granted through baptism and infused into a person through the Holy Spirit. Now, after baptism, one must maintain his justified status through good works or salvation may be lost. Now, if one commits a mortal sin, how does one regain that right status before God? Well, that's the sacrament of penance, okay, where one must confess their sins to a priest, and the priest will grant forgiveness or absolution after he prescribes certain acts of penance to be performed, whether saying so many Hail Marys or Our Fathers or giving or you know, doing works of charity or whatever he prescribes. 
The Catechism of the Catholic Church reads, Christ instituted the sacrament of penance for all sinful members of his church, above all for those who since baptism have fallen into grave sin and have thus lost their baptismal grace and wounded ecclesial communion. It is to them that the sacrament of penance offers a new possibility to convert and recover the grace of justification. The fathers of the church present this sacrament as the second plank of salvation after the shipwreck, which is the loss of grace. Hey, so if you commit a mortal sin, you fall from your justified position. You must confess and perform the acts of penance to regain right status with God. Once again, the Council of Trent. As a means of regaining grace and justice, penance was at all times necessary for those who had defiled their souls with any mortal sin. Some, for example, the emperor Constantine, decided to get baptized right before he died. That way he wouldn't commit any sin, all right, and would enter sin-free into eternal life. But you're baptized, and between baptism and eternity, if you commit sins, uh, mortal sins, then you lose that justified status, and you need to go through penance to regain right status with God. Now, I remember when I was in the Philippines, you know, it's a strong Catholic country, and I was sitting with a bunch of professors from De La Salle University, one of their top universities, and we were sitting there, and they were discussing things, and finally said, okay, we have a guest here. They didn't know who I was. They said, all right, what's your name? I said, Pat Zucaran. They said, what do you do? I said, well, I host a radio show here in the Philippines, Evidence and Answers. They said, Evidence and Answers, what is that? I said, well, it's a radio show explaining, teaching, and defending truth. They said, truth? What is that, religious show? I went, well, you know, God is the source of truth. And so they go, oh, you're a pastor, you're a priest. I said, no, I'm not. You know, I host this radio show, and I teach throughout, you know. the. And they said, and so, you know, that began the conversation going, and they began asking me all these questions. How do you know the Bible is true? How do you know God exists? Oh, no. And then at the end, one lady looked at me, the chair of one of the departments. Her name was Shirley. And she said, you know, I haven't gone to confession in a long time. And I think that's a bunch of blank, 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 blank. And I said, oh, really? Why? She goes, oh, I don't want to tell my thing to a priest, you know, uh, and all that. And uh, I said, oh, okay. Well, how do you get right standing before God? And she goes, well, I guess you have to do it. I said, oh, yeah? And she said, so you're a priest? Well, Father, can I confess my sins to you? And I said, oh, I'm not a father. And she goes, well, aren't you a priest? I said, well, in a sense, we're all priests, right, if you, you know Christ. And she, we're a royal priesthood, you know. And she goes, well, okay, Father. I said, no, don't call me Father. Just call me Pat. She goes, do I, can I confess my sins to you? I said, no, oh, I don't want to know your sins, especially you. Man, you're going to give me nightmares, man. <laughs> oh, she goes, okay, okay, oh, Reverend. And she goes, all right, Father. I said, don't call me Father. She goes, okay, Reverend, Reverend Patrick. And I said, don't call me Reverend, okay? She said, what do I call you? I said, well, you just call me Pat. She goes, well, aren't you in the ministry? I said, yeah. She goes, so you're not a father? I said, no. And she said, well, you, I, I said, just call me Pat. And then she goes, well, okay. Well, she said, I'm very uncomfortable with that. What title should I give you? I said, your majesty, your holiness, your excellency. She goes, well, I ain't going to call I said, look, if you're going to give me a title, make it worth my while. Otherwise, you can just call me Pat. And she goes, all right. Pat, can, can I confess my sins to you? And I said, no. I said, you have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 5. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. I said, you don't have to confess anything to any priest or anyone, not to me, 
there's one mediator, Jesus Christ. You can go directly to the boss. And she said, you can? I said, yeah, you can. You don't need to go to someone in, in the church. We as believers in Christ stand right before justified before God, have direct access to the boss, Jesus Christ. Okay? She was kind of surprised all right, with all that. But that is the difference Anything, the Protestant Reformation and Catholic teaching were justified and direct access to God. The summary of the Council of Trent reads this, Hence, to those who work well unto the end and trust in God, eternal life is to be offered, both as a grace mercifully promised to the sons of God through Christ Jesus and as a reward promised by God himself to be faithfully given to their good works and merits. Nothing further is wanting to those justified to prevent them from being considered to have by those very works which have been done in God fully satisfied the divine law according to the state of this life and have truly merited eternal life to be obtained in its time provided they depart in grace. You get it? Those who have faithfully worked, who have taken of the sacraments, okay, along with faith, may enter into eternal life in a state long as they are in the state of grace so it becomes a faith and works kind of salvation and martin luther and the protestant reformation was teaching uh uh-uh, we are justified by faith alone faith alone one of the life lessons we learn from this is this denominations can be wrong just because you're in a christian denomination doesn't mean everything they teach is right over the years if you study church history Okay, denominations often deviate and go liberal. There are denominations here that teach some strange, strange things. I mean, I was just teaching in a denomination where they're ordaining gays, you know, gay priests and performing same-sex marriages, you know, teaching God is a woman, drink from, be nourished by the breasts of her milk and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, oh, but denominations can be wrong. Our trust is not in a denomination, but the word of God. When you get... To Judgment Day, God's not going to ask you, what denomination were you a part of? He wants to know, did you respond to the truth of his word? And it's every believer in Christ's responsibility to study and know the word of God. Because your pastor can go wrong. The denomination can go wrong. The strength of a denomination is in the strength of how well the people know their Bible. Well, Luther's awakening Luther, as a young monk, was consumed when he entered into the ministry by his profound sense of sinfulness and God's incredible majesty and holiness. And upon performing his first Mass, he says, I was utterly stupefied and terror-stricken, and he almost could not finish performing Mass. And he thought to himself, who am I that I should lift my eyes up and raise my hands to the divine majesty? For I am dust and ashes and full of sin. And I'm speaking to the living and eternal true God. Finally, in the year 1515, he came to a new understanding of Romans 1, 16 and 17, the verse that Ernest read for you. And he says, night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through the open doors into paradise. Luther discovered that the saved 
are saved by faith based on the work of Jesus Christ. Not our works, which always fall short, but on the finished, complete work of Jesus Christ. And he saw how this sharply contrasted with the Catholic Church's teaching on justification by faith and good works. And he knew this had tremendous implications as he began to teach this and present this. If salvation comes by faith through Christ alone, then the intercessory work of priests, penance, the mediation of the church crumbles. And that's what began the revival in his heart and began the Protestant Reformation. And throughout church history and the life of churches throughout the world, revivals like this begin when there is a return to the teaching and the application of the Word of God. Working with a church in Honolulu, their pastor got into some strange teachings, worship of angels, fellowship of angels, you know, all this kind of things. And eventually they had to dismiss him. But the church was dwindling, dwindling and dying. And when they returned to biblical teaching, now you see that church coming back once again. Revivals begin with a return to the biblical teaching of the Word of God. Now, the verse... The verses that hit Martin Luther like a bolt of lightning was this one. Okay? And many say these, this is the biblical verse of the Reformation, Romans 1, 16 and 17. And for those of you who have studied the book of Romans, this is the key verse. This is the theme verse for the entire book of Romans. In these two verses, it states concisely and with great clarity the fundamental doctrine of Christianity. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, salvation is not only initiated by God, God comes after us. It is carried out by his very power. So when Paul says the gospel is the power of God, means there is a dynamic quality to the message. When the gospel is being preached, it's not just giving of information, but literally God at work reaching out to the unsaved. It's the only message that brings divine conviction to the heart and mind of sinners when they hear it. So the gospel is not only a display of God's power, but his power at work to bring about salvation. Now, becoming a child of God is not something we can do for ourselves. It requires God's power himself working through the gospel. So when you responded to the gospel, it was the power of God literally working and transforming you. But this does not negate the individual's responsibility. They are called to believe and receive him as their Lord and Savior. God will not force himself upon the unwilling. So the hearer has that responsibility to respond to that message. And Paul says, first the Jew and then the Gentile. Its extent then is to all people. And he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness is an attribute of God. And those who have come to faith have been declared righteous by 
God. Not anything that we can attain. We can never be as righteous as God. Instead, he gives that standing to us. And it says from faith to faith, meaning the gospel is available by faith. And as we grow in it, it leads to greater faith. And for this, Paul quotes an Old Testament passage, Habakkuk 2.4. So right standing before God comes by faith alone. And this became the central theme of the Reformation there in the 1500s. Right standing by God is not anything we can achieve. It's something that comes by trusting in him by faith alone. That goes contrary to our thinking, doesn't it? Most of us, the way we grow up, if you want something, you got to earn it. you got to pay the price for it. Well, this one, we could not earn it. It had to be given to us. And it was given to us on the cross when Jesus Christ died for our sin, something only he could do. And that righteousness now is given to us. I remember I was speaking with a group of doctors at the country club. And then, you know, the question came up, well, so what do you do? And so I said, well, I host a radio show. I said, what kind of radio show? And my dad goes, religion. You're a religious, religious show. He's a priest. And they all went, a priest. Oh, priest. Oh, man of the cloth. And they started just, you know, ripping into, you know, and I'm sitting there, oh, okay. Is there an opening here where I can kind of shoot in? But, uh, you know, they were just going at it, going at it. And finally, after about an hour of that, they had got up and started to leave. And one doctor kind of looked at me and said, you know, he said, he looked at me, he said, man of the cloth. I went to college in Iowa. And, you know, in Iowa, there I was all alone. The only Asian, Asian guy in the whole city, I think. And he said, one of my professors invited me to his church for Thanksgiving. So I didn't know where to go. So I went to the church for Thanksgiving. And the professor was there, and I got to meet the people in the church. And uh, when it came time to introduce their family, you know, they were introducing. And then the professor stood up, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, this is so-and-so. You know, and, he, and he's a Japanese college student, right? He goes, this is so-and-so. My son died in the Pacific, you know, fighting against the Japanese. He died in the war, fighting there. So I want you to consider this man my son. And he has all the rights as my son and whatever he needs. And if you can help him anyway, just consider him my son, all right? And take care of him as you would my son. And he looked at me and said, man, I never forgot that. And I said, what did you do to earn the right to be his son. He said, well, I don't know, nothing. I said, that's the gospel right there. I said, sonship was conferred upon you, not because of anything you did, but because of that man's grace and his love, it was passed on to you as a free gift. And I said, that's the gospel message of Christ. We did nothing to earn a just and right standing before God with all the privileges of sonship before a holy and majestic heavenly father. It was gracious. The price was paid on the cross and that righteousness, all those rights of sonship have been given to us as an act of grace. So remember this life lesson as we bring this to an end. The wrong gospel cannot bring salvation. Galatians 2, Paul says, if it's by works, you nullify the grace of God, and you have a wrong gospel. So the gospel is central to our salvation. And as Christians, then, we must be clear on what the gospel is and how we attain right standing for God. And it's central to salvation. We must be able to defend that message. For often, 
especially in the kingdom of the cults, you know, that message may get twisted, and we end up in a faith and works kind of salvation. Well, the effects of the Protestant Reformation are still with us today, and we praise God for the courageous men and women who stood for the truth of God's Word in the midst of some very difficult and dangerous times. May we value the Word of God and the gospel of truth that has been passed down to us now and always. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the men and women throughout church history whom you have raised, faithful servants who have given their lives to protect, proclaim, and defend the truth and pass it on to us. May we cherish that history and most of all, cherish your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, please visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Dr. Pat Zucker. Yeah.